Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make Him known. The New Testament lesson for today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1-6. through 6. This can be found on page 1147 of your pew Bible. The Apostle Paul proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ with boldness, despite opposition or unbelief, as he declares the life-transforming glory of the Savior. A reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with the first verse. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is viled, it is viled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the, the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Thanks be to God. You may notice in your program that it says Pastor David Borden was supposed to preach today. He had been working all week on a sermon on this text and he called me yesterday and he said he was sick. He told me his symptoms and he said, I think I need you to preach for me tomorrow. So I said, of course I'll preach for you, you big wuss. <laughs> I assume David's watching on the live stream right now. So uh, I, I would say you owe me one, David, after this, but then I realized I was gone for two months and these pastors <laughs> filled in for me, so we're even, right, bud? But I, I, in all seriousness, I do want to say that when he called me 18 hours ago or so and said you need to preach and prepare a sermon, I, I'd be honest with you, I was at peace. I wasn't freaking out. And the reason for that is because we believe here at this church that the personality of the pastors or the cleverness of our preaching is not really the, the power here. It's the power of the Word, and it's the power of the Savior, Jesus Christ, revealed in this Word. In fact, as God would have it in his timing, Paul says something along these lines in verse 5 of our reading today. Do you notice that in verse 5? It says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. Paul's referring to himself and Timothy, who wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. He's saying, look, this message that we're proclaiming to you, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. So I believe that as I scramble to put something together over the last few hours, that really ultimately if you, if we can behold the face of Jesus, 
that's really my only job here today, is to point us through the word to him. And I'd like to pray towards that end before we go any further. Let's pray. God, we believe that the very same Holy Spirit who inspired the words of Scripture many years ago is right here in this room with us. So will you, Holy Spirit, open up our hearts, our minds, our lives for understanding and application. Let us collectively behold the face of Jesus through this word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with the first verse. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. What's the Apostle Paul talking about here? We're picking up a story midstream, so I'm going to give a little bit of explanation. You'll notice we're in 2 Corinthians. There's a series of letters that the Apostle Paul had sent to the church in Corinth. Paul and Timothy had founded the church in Corinth and then moved on to other towns to plant other churches. But the church in Corinth, well, it was a, it was a difficult church. The city of Corinth was totally secular. It was a completely pagan city. And when Paul first established the church, it was primarily with Jewish converts, Jewish people who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And they were really interested in maintaining all the laws of Torah, the laws of the Old Testament. And they started rejecting the message that Paul was proclaiming, the message of the gospel, because they thought he was being a little too loosey-goosey with God's word, saying that they didn't have to follow all 613 laws of the Old Testament anymore. So Gentiles started coming into the church. As those Jewish converts began leaving the church, Gentiles, pagan people, started coming in because they were hearing the gospel and believing it. So Paul had this church on his hands that had some remaining traditionalists or religious conservative legalists and these really progressive people coming out of paganism. And he had a conflict on his hands. And he was trying to apply the gospel, the truth of Jesus, to the divide, to this very disparate group of people. For example, there was a conflict in the church about whether or not to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. The people living in the pagan society, they would go into these pagan temples and they would eat the meat that was sacrificed there. And the traditionalists, the legalists in the church were saying, you can't do that. That's against God's law. And the progressives or whatever you want to call them, they were coming and saying, no, we're free in Christ. If the gospel's true, we can eat this meat. So there was this conflict and Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he applies the truth of Jesus, the capital T truth of Jesus, the message of the gospel to try to reconcile that divide. And he tells the legalists, it's okay, you can actually eat the meat because you are free in Christ. And he tells the progressives, but you know, if you're causing someone to stumble, just don't eat the meat in front of them. So he gives a hard word to both the traditionalists and the progressives. And then he, moves, he sends that letter in 1 Corinthians, and I can only imagine Paul's inbox filled up <laughs> because he seems to have upset both sides with that message because now he's responding in 2 Corinthians to some of the accusations that came his way about what he had said. He's presented Jesus as the truth, as the gospel, as the application to this division. And people had said, I think you're tampering with God's word because that's what he's addressing then in the next verse, in verse 2. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, 
we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. I think what Paul is saying here is he's saying, look, all I did in the church was apply the gospel, apply the truth of who Jesus is to a human division. I just gave you the truth. I gave you Jesus. You can check your conscience to see if I did anything wrong. That's what he's saying here. And this is an application of the truth. Often I think we think of, tell people the truth of the Bible. We think of it as this blunt instrument that's going to correct everyone's wrong thinking. But in a certain sense, when you apply the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is, it brings reconciliation to human division. And it gives correction to all sides. And it brings people together in Christ. Jesus is the truth. And he's applying, Paul's applying the gospel inwardly in the church, inside the church where there's conflict. But he also reminds them and and us in the next verse that the gospel, the truth, the claims of the Bible, the claims of who Jesus said he was are applicable not only to divisions within the church, but they're really designed to be a message for the world. And Paul takes his argument then in the next verse outwards where he says this truth of who Jesus is, we need to take it to the streets. Some people will believe it, and some people will reject it. He begins describing this with an illustration in verse 3. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Paul introduces this illustration of a veil coming down over someone's face where they can't see beyond the veil. He's saying, look, we're proclaiming the gospel. We're proclaiming the truth of who Jesus is. Jesus came into the world. He taught, he healed, he fed, and then he died. He died to absorb all the sins of the whole world, your sins and my sins, to take the consequences, the punishment that we deserve upon himself. And three days later, he was victorious even over death, and he rose from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of the Father, where he reigns both now and for all eternity. That's the gospel. That's the truth. When we proclaim that out there in the streets in the city of Corinth and around the world, when we declare that Jesus Christ lived, died, rose again, and reigns forever, Some people will hear it, they'll respond to it, they'll be glad, they'll rejoice, they'll believe, and some people won't be able to see it. They won't be able to hear what you're saying because there's a veil coming over them, and they will reject the message of the gospel. You've heard me describe a number of times our sidewalk evangelism in the city of Stanford. We go out there, Katie and others lead a basically a Christian music concert, where through the music we proclaim what Paul calls here the open statement of the truth, verse 2. And we have someone grab a microphone and we proclaim Christ in the streets of Stanford. And it's awesome because many, many, many people, they're walking by and they're hearing what we're saying and they're responding and they're saying, tell me more. And you can tell it's what their hearts are longing to hear. And they say, when are you coming back here? When are you opening your church? These are people for whom the veil is lifted. And some people, I'm guessing like 97% of the people, respond really positively. And about 3% of the people, well, you can tell that they heard what we said and they don't like it. And they tell us we shouldn't be there doing this. They go inside and they yell at the baristas in the coffee shop. 
It's true. Or they go online and they post negative reviews of the coffee shop where we are. They're really rejecting the message of the gospel. And I thought about this while I was on sabbatical. I reflected on this because it kind of hurts to have that happen, you know? The team kind of absorbs that. But I thought about this and I thought, we should be really encouraged because if we're getting some rejection of the message of the gospel, that means we were clear. We're going out there again in October, and we're going to do the same thing again. And if we get no rejection response, I'm going to wonder if we were clear enough. Because the message of the gospel is so different than everything else that's being spoken in our culture right now. It's totally upside down from all the messages that are being proclaimed out there. So if we're clear, if we're really saying the truth of who Jesus is, especially the part about him Seated at the right hand of the Father and reigning now and forever. We're going to look more next week at the kingship of Jesus. If we're declaring that on the streets of Stanford, some people are going to say, no way. I adhere to another authority. So the truth of the gospel, some people will have it, the veil lifted, and some people will have the veil down. Now, here's an important point that Paul gets to in the next verse. He describes why exactly it is that some people have that veil what the opposition really is, that some people reject the gospel. Verse 4, in their case, he says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world. You notice how in that verse it's a lowercase g. Who's Paul talking about here? Who's the God of this world that's pulled the veil down over some people's eyes? Well, in a word, he's describing the evil one, Satan, the devil. If you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, God had given Adam and Eve authority to steward the garden, to to rule over the garden. And then the serpent appeared in the tree to tempt Eve and to tempt Adam, and they fell for it. And they yielded their authority over to the serpent. They yielded the authority that God had given them. And so the God of this world is Satan. And he took the authority that God had given Adam and Eve. And now he, in some way, still has a grip over the people and the systems and the institutions and the governments and the human hearts of this world. This is one of the easier theologies to to prove to people who are just learning about the gospel. Do I really need to prove to you that evil still on some level has a grip in this world? Or do you think all of the institutions and the families and the governments and the human hearts of this world are are just doing great right now? Everything's honky-dory. Honky-dory? I've been in Michigan too long. I just use a very (laughs) honky-dory. Leaving myself a note here. Don't use Michigan phrases. That was so embarrassing. Katie knows. That's the third one I've said already? Please tell me the other ones later. Honky-dory. Where was I? Oh, the God of this world, Satan, he still has a grip over all of us, if we're being honest. There is darkness in this world. Now, why is this such an important point? It's because when we think about our witness, the witness of the gospel, the proclamation of truth, what Paul calls here the open statement of the truth, when people reject the message of the gospel, we have to realize they're rejecting it because the God of this world, Satan, has pulled that veil over their eyes. In other words, the unbelievers, the non-Christians, they are not our enemy. The enemy is the God of this world. The enemy is Satan who hoodwinks people, who, who gives them lies. 
I'm sensing in our culture right now with all of the tribalism going on where everybody's getting into their own tribe, some of us have fallen into that a little bit and we think that it's secularism versus Christianism or something like that. And we have to beat them. It's a zero-sum game. We have to take back what they gained in a culture. That's not really the equation here. The equation is more that darkness covers all of these structures, including our own hearts, and a light shines in the darkness. And the devil pulls the veil over some people's eyes so they can't see that light. So when they reject our message, they're really, they're rejecting Jesus because of Satan's influence on their life. Our enemy is Satan, not people. And we don't have to take it personally when somebody rejects what we're putting out there. That's what he's getting at in verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servant in this world. We are simply servants of Jesus Christ. This is why I wasn't freaking out when Pastor David said he was sick. Because I knew that if Jesus is who he said he is, then he's still alive today, and he can still speak by the presence of the Holy Spirit through his word to you and to me, which I believe he's doing right now. And my prayer is that if there's anybody in this room for whom the veil is still closed, if there's anybody in this room who's hearing the message of the gospel and there's something in you saying, I don't believe it, I reject it, it's not for me, And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit is the only one who can lift that veil, that the Holy Spirit right now would begin to lift it, begin to melt hard hearts into hearts of flesh, and that we would receive the gospel, that we would behold Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. In verse 6, we really... Lean into this understanding that it's God alone who can lift that veil. It's God alone who can reveal. It's God alone who can shine the light into the dark places. Yes, the world is full of darkness, but so is the human heart, including ours without the light of Christ. Look what Paul says in verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts. You see what Paul is bringing us back to once again is way back in the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, where it says, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Before that moment, everything was just void. Everything was darkness. And God spoke light. Imagine this for a moment. Our tiny little human brains can hardly comprehend this. But imagine all of the light from all of the stars in all of the galaxies in the entire universe. None of it existed before creator God said, let there be light. That creative power, that unimaginable unfathomable, unspeakable power. Paul says, the one who said, let there be light, has shown light in our hearts. I get so excited when I meet somebody for whom the veil is lifted and they say, I believe what you're saying. Please tell me more. 
I've heard all the things that this world has to offer, but this is different. I believe in Jesus. I love that because when I meet somebody who, whose words come out of their mouth like that, I say that same creative power that spoke the universe into existence is at work in this person's heart right now. I didn't do that. I didn't manufacture that. Only creator God could do that. It's so exciting and so fun. God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Another way of describing this process of believing, of seeing the light, Paul uh, is writing again in Colossians. I love the way he describes the same, the same thing in a different way. Colossians 1 verse 13. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the transfer. That's what happens in baptism. This is why I was mentioning that baptism announcement so emphatically earlier. Do you want to be transferred out of that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son he loves, the kingdom of light? Baptism is a way of doing that. We have a new citizenship if the light of the gospel has shone in our hearts. How does it happen? Through the forgiveness of sins. See, this is my prayer, knowing that I was going to bring this word to you, is that not only would the veil be lifted and we would behold our Savior, but also that God would expose, the Holy Spirit would expose our need for a Savior. That we'd be able to see our own sinfulness, the darkness that still has a grip even on our own hearts, those of us inside the church. We're not going to be a very good witness to those outside the church if we think they're the only ones living in darkness. We still have some of the remnants, some of the grip of the God of this world in us, which is why we come back to the communion table week after week after week. To change metaphors here, I love that quote from D.T. Niles where he says, evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find some bread. The light shines in our hearts, revealing our own sin, but revealing Jesus so that when we go out into the streets, when we go out into the workplaces, our own families, our own friends and neighbors, when we tell them about the light of Jesus, we trust that it's only the Holy Spirit who can lift that veil, but we say, I need him too. Let's go to him together for the forgiveness of sins. And I just love the image that Paul leaves us with here. For God, in verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Can you picture his face? Holy Spirit, reveal the face of Jesus to us. Let us behold you. As we come to the communion table together, reveal the face of Jesus, the light, the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. If we behold you, Jesus, we have all we need. So reveal yourself to us by your spirit. Lift the veil. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.